Hello, I'm Dr. Beverly Wright, Executive Director of the Business Analytics Center at Georgia Tech. This is the Analytics Buzz, a podcast about trends, tools, techniques, and talent related to data science and analytics. Our podcast uses an interview format with industry and academic leaders and is intended for analytics-interested business professionals from the U.S. and beyond. Thank you again for listening to the Analytics Buzz. With us today, we have Craig Brabeck, and we're talking about integrating data-inspired strategic change initiatives. Thanks for being here, Craig. Thanks, Beverly. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about why you're so cool. <laughs> well, it depends. If you ask people I work with or if you ask my kids, you're going to get totally different answers. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, but uh, my current role is I'm Senior Vice President of Data Analytics at McKesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit about my background. Uh, I've had uh, various analytics roles uh, prior to my, my joining McKesson earlier this year. Uh, most recently, I was the head of analytics at Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Uh, had various roles there, both in analytics as well as in strategy, product development, supply chain, and IT. Uh, before that, I spent a stint at Deloitte Consulting uh, as a senior manager in strategy operations and had some, I was actually an officer in the United States Navy, a civil engineer corps, and a little background with industrial engineering uh, and a master's in operations and finance as well. What an awesome background. Thank you. So I noticed on your LinkedIn profile that it's it says McKesson Data and Analytics. Is that a separate entity within McKesson? Uh, no, it's actually a group within McKesson Corporate. Okay. Uh, we're actually part of the broader uh, CIO and CTO organization ah. uh, for, for McKesson. Okay. Uh, a lot of people don't know who McKesson is because uh, we're sort of the quietest large company you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're actually a Fortune 5. Uh, revenues last year were $179 billion. Wow. Uh, 70,000 employees. And uh, really, a global reach right now with some of the acquisitions in the recent years. A third of all pharmaceuticals are actually distributed through McKesson today in North America, are delivered by McKesson, helping uh, create a, a healthier environment for all. We're the fourth, also the fourth largest pharmacy chain. So a lot of folks don't think of us that way, but we actually have 4,700 pharmacies mm-hmm. uh, as members of our, our Health Mart uh, franchise. Wow. And we're number one or two in most of the industries that we actually play in, uh, both in pharmaceutical distribution and medical surgical distribution to art- alternate care sites, uh, generics, pharmaceutical distribution. Uh, as well as management so- medical management software and uh, connectivity services, too. Wow. And you guys are in he- um, headquartered in Alpharetta, or is that just one of your branches? It's one of our branches. We're uh, headquartered, actually, in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Well, twist my arm and make me go over there. All right, cool. <laughs> so um, we're talking about integrating data-inspired strategic change initiatives. So let's talk about first, just to kind of letter- level set, what the heck are change initiatives? Like, what is that? What do we mean by that? Well, you know, it's a general term that you see quite often in business right now. And I think no matter where you are in business today, you're experiencing quite a bit of change. Um, Mm -hmm. And it could be a generic term, but I'll also use the term disruption quite a bit. Mm. If you are in automotive, for example, you are seeing autonomous car, you're seeing car companies now call themselves mobility companies and thinking about transport, uh, big shifts in automotive. If you're in the hospitality business, you're seeing things like Airbnb come up, changes with hotel, hotels uh, embracing digital in a new way. Uh, and starting to leverage other assets as a part of their their bigger ecosystem. If you're an industrial business, you're seeing the advent of Internet of Things come mm-hmm. on very quick uh, yeah. and digitization of that value chain, going to a place with a consumer that they've never been before and really understanding how consumers actually use their products in different ways. If you're in consumer retail, uh, 
uh, right now. You're seeing it's a very interesting shift you're seeing right now with Amazon announcing the uh, the build out of stores, mm-hmm. and actually the you're seeing a uh, digital company move into a brick and mortar where others like Nordstrom and such are brick and mortar turning to digital, and you're seeing a new competition, but but big disruption and big change. Mm-hmm. And in healthcare too, you're seeing it with uh, the changes due to the Affordable Care Act, the shift to value based care, and the new technology advances taking place. No matter what industry you're in, you're seeing shifts and disruptions to your current business models, and a lot of that is with digital. Got it, got it. So, for example, um, with entrepreneurs, like we have a, a cool ATDC here at Georgia Tech, but and um, you know, Atlanta Tech Village has a very strong presence in in the area. But um, with entrepreneurs, they use the term pivot. If they say, you know, there is something going on, we need to sort of pivot, and it's really just a complete changeover. Are we talking about that sort of strategic um, initiative and that sort of change? Or can some of it be business as usual? Uh, well, I'm seeing both. So mm-hmm. I'm seeing, and you have to be out in the market and really sensing and wearing to know which one it is. Pivot is, you know, one foot is planted and the other part of the body is actually shifting around the pivot. Mm-hmm. And the other is a complete uh, complete shift where, you know, I'd say both feet are moving. And you're seeing that in, in everywhere. We're mm-hmm. seeing it in pharmaceutical with the folks really moving to value-based and point of service is actually changing with us with regards to how people want the things delivered in healthcare. Yeah. But I, I'm seeing I'm seeing both. And when you get to the size of some of these larger companies like McKesson and like Ford and others, uh, you may see part of your business as a, as a pivot and you might see others that are a fundamental shift. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that helps us understand where we're talking about. But what about um, analytic solutions for um, helping solve what to do next in these strategic initiatives. Do you have some examples of use cases for how an analytics solution helped um, sort of make decisions about big strategic changes? Absolutely. So these changes, you know, one thing that's common across all these changes is, is under every one of them is, is new technologies that are emerging either through com- existing competitors or new competitors. But we're seeing across the board some common tech trends, if you will, in spaces like additive man- manufacturing and 3D printing in healthcare that's taking place, in automotive that's taking place, in industrial. It's a common trend. If you see Internet of Things, it's coming across these. If you look at artificial intelligence, still early but coming across the industries, high-performance computing, cloud, uh, sensors everywhere, these common disruptors are taking place. But you know, underlying those common disruptors as well a common thread is data increased data availability. Mm-hmm. There's data everywhere now. Mm-hmm. We're leaving digital footprints everywhere. We're leaving these digital exhausts in the consumer business. Our, wow. our cars are doing it, as well as 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 every, everything that moves is is leaving these digital exhausts. And that data availability for us. Um, there creates an opportunity in what I believe is feeding and fueling the need for increased data analytics to create value for customers, for stakeholders, and for employees as well. So uh, one of the examples uh, is of these disruptions is, is supply chain. Mm-hmm. And I'll use that as an example because I've done quite a bit in that. In both my current role and prior companies, you know, everybody is and always has been looking to what? Avoid disruptions, reduce inventory, increase visibility, and, of course, reduce cost. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can use traditional data analytics capabilities to do that, but the application of those with new data sources and new information 
allows us to do it and approach it in different ways. Mm. And uh, so if you still address that, you can use the analytics to come forward for you and start to think through how do you integrate this with the business with these new tools or, you know, if, if we're possible to approach similar problems in new ways and new lights with, with new capabilities. So uh, one of the examples in supply chain is uh, disruptions. Mm-hmm. A lot of organizations I'm seeing right now are creating uh, nerve centers, if you will, um, that are giving them very active, persistent threats to their supply chain mm-hmm. and disruptions, but also better real-time availability to this to, to that as well. So increased visibility to the tools and to, to the product movement or shipment, but also understanding of predicting things such as when will the, with greater accuracy, when will the materials actually arrive, when will the product reci- arrive, when will the service arrive. And so we can use algorithms for data sciences to come in with new data sources and new data models to help even traditional business challenges that folks are having in the supply chain. Oh, okay. Um, so it's allowing you to be a little more uh, descriptive in the way of seeing what's going on right now, but also predictive and prescriptive to say what's going to happen next mm-hmm. and what should I do about it then. Got it. Got it. Poor diagnostic always gets left out, doesn't it? It does. Doesn't <laughs> it? It does. Um, so it sounds like you're saying that um, there's a lot of times new technology or some kind of, even in, especially in pharmaceuticals, I would imagine that there could be a change in regulation and just boom, the whole industry could shift. Uh, but some kind of change in technology that um, makes a shift necessary or desirable. And then with the a massive amounts of data that we have, we're able to leverage that to apply some sort of analytic solution um, to predict and kind of get ahead of not just letting it happen to us, because we can predict all day and see that it's coming, but to actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. Is, is that kind of the summary? Just uh, technology instigates a change, data is much more available, and we're able to use analytics to know what's going to happen in advance, kind of crystal ball. Yeah, we're starting to get, I'd say we're getting better at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it's still, AI is harder than most people um, think. They see the movies or take a look at the recent 60 Minutes uh, and say, okay, it's right around the corner. It's actually, it's a little bit farther on because actually taking the data and using some deep learning predictive models is is a little bit more involved. And what we're finding is, is how the data is actually structured and what the intelligence is within the data itself actually takes a little bit longer than expected in terms to extract that out and I'd say to, to codify it. Mm-hmm. Although there have been some some pretty good advances here in the recent years with regards to AI that uh, you're starting to see. But it's trying to make recommendations on things and augment, I'd say, the human experience or augment the, the professional in this field to allow them to uh, use that information in a way they couldn't access. And the, the one example is, is uh, cancer treatment and, and treatment recommendations right mm-hmm. now. Uh, there are papers coming out and so much research coming out on a daily basis that you couldn't read it all. You, you couldn't uh, sit down and just go through every paper and, and intelligy and infer it. But new tools are able to ingest that information and start to make correlations or recommendations to physicians or bodies of, of, of health professionals mm-hmm. to start to interpret that as a tool to allow them to use moving forward. I think of it as an advancement of, um, you know, 
I'm going to show how old I am, but we started with the slide rule, and we got to the calculator, which made computational faster for us. Mm -hmm. and we could use that information to, quote, do our jobs or insights and recommendations and actions. And then we got to the personal computer. We got to the main mainframes as well. And now we're getting into new tools that are that are AI-based that will mm -hmm. allow us to augment what a human is able to do in a faster way, and especially in the, in the medical field. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we just recently had an event um, on artificial intelligence here at Georgia Tech with uh, Chris Hammond from Narrative Science talking about this um, exact same progress that we're making. So, yeah, it's a lot. I think it's farther off than what we are really thinking mm -hmm. <laughs> that are further further off than what we're thinking um, on the surface. Um, but, okay, so we're able to um, address lots of bigger issues. It sounds like at scale is what you're really getting at because the, the newer tools are able to do what we would do just in larger um, larger scale. Yeah. Okay. It's speed, you know, as well with the with some of the computational capabilities now is we're able to do things so much faster than before, which means to your earlier point, more pivots more frequently. Yeah. Uh, more information comes. We now need to adjust our strategy. We need to think about what is the business value mm -hmm. opportunity here, mm -hmm. and then what would we do? What actions do we need to take as a result of that? Mm -hmm. Go get additional information and do this as a, a virtuous circle of yep. iteration of moving forward. And so you're seeing. That's what I'm seeing happen more and more is more discussion up front, find information, try it in a pilot or a proof of concept, learn from that and either implement that quickly or iterate and go to the next thing based on those learnings. And right. so what you're seeing is more companies moving to managing a portfolio of, I'd say, change initiatives that are taking place versus one big initiative that I'd say historically was more and more common as we are going left and here we need to bring the whole ship left. I'm seeing a lot more about a managing a portfolio of change initiatives taking place. Got it. Okay, we've been talking sort of like um, Storyland, right? Because the in the world of bright sunshine and, and green fields and rainbows, yeah, sure, we can kind of just do this thing. But mm -hmm. in reality, when you have to implement, um, there are barriers. So let's talk about some of those barriers because I'm guessing that our li listeners are saying, well, that sounds great from a normative perspective, but the reality is I can't or it's very challenging and what are some of the barriers that you think um, could prevent um, analytics from helping drive strategic change sure so if you're listening to this podcast good chance you get it mm -hmm. right you mm -hmm. understand that you've tuned in you've downloaded you're clicking on this and you are wanting to understand some tools uh, not everybody is in the same space and has had the same experiences of this this um, listening audience that I understand what the power is and the value that can be created. Mm -hmm. And we're in a business world, right? These businesses ex exist in most part to generate value for its shareholders. And so I, I push that point of value very hard in, uh, with regards to how to articulate what data analytics can do mm -hmm. and with change initiatives as well as is these will be looked at as science projects in many regards if they're not driving value. Mm. And so one of the key points of leading change and starting to think through what the opportunities are is to start to think about what problem are you trying to solve or what business value are you going to create and who are you going to create that value for. And then you will get, uh, I'd say, tighter alignment and voice with the business of some of these change initiatives and how the capabilities of data or the capabilities of analytics or the new technologies can be used to solve a, a real-world business problem that creates real-world value today. 
Um, but again, focusing on value up front and understanding and aligning with the business is probably the two of the most important things with regards to leading the change in the space. Okay. Well, I actually picked up um, a few from from what you just mentioned, one of which being cultural-based. And so there's some cultural barriers with understanding the, um, well, like you mentioned, the value, but also just understanding the discipline. Do you think some of that exists still, or do you do you feel like we're further along? I do. I believe that I think we're a little further along in terms of folks are starting to see, companies are starting to see pockets of victories, yes, but not necessarily whole-scale victories. There's, exa- there's exceptions to that, especially companies that I'll say were born in a digital or an information-based environment. But companies that historically uh, were asset-based, service-based, delivery-based, um, based on their scale or their economies to, to do things in a global fashion, they're going to want and see they're very financially driven. They're, they want to understand how this relates up to other change initiatives or other projects that are opportunistic in place. And I think about the initiatives, um, get the, the geek in me will come out a little bit here, but think of it in, in terms of Newton's three laws of motion mm-hmm. and how you need to address and think about these things that what's going to come at you. So as a, if you're a leader of analytics or if you're playing in analytics space and, and want to help enable change, you know, the first law of Newton's is uh, an object at risk will remain at risk unless acted on by a force. And the, the corollary to that is, is if it's in a straight path, it's going to continue on its straight path unless some force interrupts it. Mm-hmm. And so basically what that's telling you in the business world is, is the business is going to keep doing what the business is doing unless you en- en- enable some force through a change project or recommendation mm-hmm. and think about starting small and bringing on leadership early in the process to work on a real business problem, something that's short and fast and maybe not whole-scale implementation, Mm. but proof of concept. Can you do something in six weeks? Can you do something in 12 weeks? That's a real business problem to the leaders themselves versus going after a a much larger project that's much longer and takes a larger amount of investment. Those may still make sense to go after, Mm -hmm. but you're going to get buy-in and consistency in smaller wins earlier on. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this over and over again. We'll do a small proof of concept, say six to 12 weeks, and it's, it's addressing a real business problem. And our focus isn't on... Uh, implementation across the supply chain. It's actually focused on maybe a single distribution center or maybe even a cell within the distribution center. And once we demonstrate that this can be done, Mm -hmm. the questions then start to drive to, well, can you also do this? If you can do that Mm -hmm. and you can show me real time whether or not I'm going to make the truck that's going to be that's got to leave the dock at 6 p.m. based on some predictive data you're pulling off of a machine on productivity. Wow, can you do that with employees too? Can uh, you start to track across all this? Well, can you tell me the things are going to start to fail? Can you predict for me how many trucks I'm actually going to need and how many um, people I'm going to need out in the field? Yes, absolutely. So we you can get them start to, to show that. Focus and, on the yeah. ability, not necessarily the answer, but just that they notice the capability and then they start to draw parallels in other areas. Yes, and, and that's when you now you're inter- integrating with the business more. You're bringing the tools and capabilities, and you're partnering with them to focus on true issues. Mm-hmm. Got it. The, sec- okay. the second rule, the second law of Newton is, is you know, force equals mass times acceleration. So, again, 
heavier objects require more force to move the same distance than lighter objects. Yes. Okay? And again, if you are starting, typically the analytics groups are not the largest organizations in the business. Right. Uh, they're smaller pockets, mm-hmm. and they might be in a federated model. So go after smaller projects that start to enable the business to start to pull you into bigger and more strategic conversations. Mm-hmm. And what you'll find is if you do a small portfolio, uh, within a period of time, you'll actually start to get to know the business pretty well. And it'll give you cause to be, I'll say, at the business table for mm-hmm. some of their discussions. Got and we'll it. talk a little bit more about ways to, to get at that business table. But again, starting smaller, you're not trying to move the mountain. You're just trying to move pieces of it and start to move, go after groups that are engaged and interested in working with you mm-hmm. and then to, and to, to focus on their issues. They may not even be the biggest ones of the business, but if they're relevant and you can drive value and you can prove out some concepts with smaller data sets and controlled scope, again, in that 6- to 12-week time frame, mm-hmm. you'll start to see some real uh, momentum take place, and then you can go after larger force, larger mass, larger acceleration. Okay. So to summarize, the the cultural barrier is real, and some of the ways that we could potentially overcome it are to really know the business, have the, take the time, have those conversations. Yeah. Um, build up a portfolio, and this is especially useful if you can get some quick wins that really um, are real problems. It's not just a science fair, as you I think you use that term, um, but they show value even if it's in a smaller way. And you didn't really say this directly, but I sort of read between the lines that you're encouraging us to bring on some internal sponsors, like some champions, yeah. some somebody that's at a relatively high level within the organization who believes in data science, period, just as a discipline. And if you can build a network of champions, um, know the business, build a portfolio, get some small wins, then you can really start to reduce that cultural barrier. Does that summarize? Yes, and it addresses, because those that are the scientists out there saying, Craig forgot one more law okay. of Newton. Okay, got it. And, is right, and, and the lead, this is perfectly uh-huh. exactly what it is, is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So there's going to be change resistance. Whatever you try to implement, even if it wasn't analytics, just a Six Sigma project or a new system, there's always resistance issues. And there's very good tools out there today in change management mm-hmm. to help address those issues and those barriers. And those can be applied to data analytics projects very, very easily and very, very um, straightforward manner. And so Thinking through the change management component of this is very important for data analytics. I see um, a lot of of people have been pulled into it for the enamoration of the toys and enjoying the the purity of the statisticals and the science. And so as as a data analytics organization and group, we have a tendency to be a little more observational. We like to look at the data. We like to look at the information. We like to sort of sit back and think about it. And that's very powerful, and the team needs to do that. But at the same time, we need to spend as much time also integrating with the business to understand what are the resistances going to be if I put in a new margin analysis tool, if I if I compare um, a new pricing tool, if I look at some supply chain optimization techniques of, say, route optimization either inside the distribution center or outside the distribution center, what problems might I face? Because you may be optimizing, and we see this all the time, you may be optimizing a a model that actually can never be implemented because there might be a contract or rule with regards to boundaries that's pre-existing that we went out and solved a problem um, that really we we can't even address. And so a lot of times it's important for the 
business analysts, the data analysts, to really start to know the business more mm-hmm. to help us with that cultural change. What I'll say it also does, it gives you uh, credibility and trust with the business. If you understand their business very, very well, mm-hmm. sit with them, spend time with them, uh, go visit with them. Um, some of the things we recommend to our team members is if Again, back to the supply chain. Go work in a distribution center for a week. Go pick parts. Mm-hmm. Go go pull lines. Uh, go get on the route if you're in a delivery business mm-hmm. and understand what the customers are really looking for and understand how a route is opt- how a route actually works. Mm-hmm. Uh, go work in a store for a week and understand what's going on. If you're in hospitality, go work in the hospitality section of what this actually uh, takes place. Get inside the business in a way that um, that even makes you perhaps uncomfortable. It's like, why am I doing this? I'm a data scientist. It's imperative that you understand that part of the business. But at the same time, your peer group that's the non-data scientist that you're working with will understand you're taking this very seriously and yep. you're investing in your time to really understand the business. The The data scientists and the leaders of data scientists that I've seen are most successful are the ones that spend at least 30 to 50% of their time working directly with the business versus working, I'd say, back on the models. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because a lot of times the models to us are not actually that complex. Right. Um, They're fairly straightforward. It's the application of them and getting them implemented and getting trust and confidence in them um, to be implemented and then enabling change. Got it. Yeah, I remember when I was at a utility company and we worked with commercial and industrial accounts. And so I would go out riding with um, my friend Elaine Armster for the commercial accounts. And sometimes I'd go to industrial plants and, you know, I'm trucking through there uh, looking at how they melt down glass, you know, so that I can understand their processes better. But we that's that's something that we sort of forget to do because we're in our office and we're looking at data. Um, but hopefully... The analytics professional will listen to this and understand the importance of of getting out there and doing things like that. I remember one more comment on that was um, when I was at a financial services company and I was um, working on a call center initiative. I said, hey, let me sit out there with the call center representatives. And I think my managers probably thought it was crazy for asking to do that. But it put all of the work that I did for the voice of um, the voice of the market and voice of the client kind of results into perspective because I was able to figure out, well, what does that call look like? And it's not just data, but it becomes organic in a sense. So that's a great recommendation. Yeah, and it's the closer you can get to the customer yeah. is really is is a great opportunity too because you actually understand that large companies actually have all of these interaction internal transactional points mm-hmm. that separate us from the customer sometimes. But yeah. if you can really truly get a voice and understand the experience of the customer, right. um, well, in construction, it was on the job site. If you could get on the job site yep. and understand how you, you could sit in the back room and talk all about drones and how you could pull data off of drones. But unless you know how a supervisor actually manages a construction site, yep. uh, your recommendations to them are flat. They're flat. They're going to mm-hmm. be alien in many regards. And yep. yep. uh, they're like, you don't even understand that my the biggest basics. problem yep. at 7 a.m. is how many people showed up at the site, not whether or not um, I moved so many yards of, of soil on this this portion of the facility. That's something I look at in the afternoon. Don't bother me. I want to let's spend the problem, talk about predicting, <laughs> Who's predicting my workforce. And, right. and then, you know, maybe then I'll really talk to you about some transformative things with regards to, using that example, drone data. Mm-hmm. But right now, help me with this n- immediate problem. Well, and there's the learning part. But to your point, the secondary benefit, which might even be more important than the first one, 
is that the business sees you're taking the time to do it. Absolutely. And so there's some credibility that automatically comes in um, with that. Because you will always have a trust barrier until you break through that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the business doesn't un, doesn't understand the math mm-hmm. and, or Hadoop, Hive, Pick, Spark, you know, Hana, Impala. You know, name, give them another name they don't understand. And they, it's our responsibility. They shouldn't need to know that or understand that. That's it, our job, right? But it does require yeah. some trust. Yeah, and and once we have have trust, then we get out of a tools conversation as well. We get into a business problem conversation, and then you truly have a you, you have a seat at the business table. You can really enable change, and do as we talked earlier, multiple pivots and shifts concurrently with the business. Got it. So I'm going to summarize, um, and if you can help me, that would be great because I don't have Newton's laws memorized. <laughs> but the first one is action, um, object in action continues. Stays, is that right? Yeah, Stays in action. Stay in its path. Yeah. Okay. So I think of that as sort of the um, the golden gut. Like uh, a lot of companies use the golden gut for decision making, or they used to. And so it's um, if they've been lucky and it's been successful, that makes it difficult that they have to change how they do that. So that's sort of a, um, a shift that needs to occur. The second one was you talked about the size. What was second law? Second law was uh, forces, mass times acceleration. So the, bigger. you got to apply larger forces to larger bodies to get larger movement. So my, my comment on that one was um, make your analytics small but mighty. You mm-hmm. might not be the biggest group in the organization, but make yourself mighty. And then the third is the reaction, um, which which I summarized as as the as the department or as the change agent in the analytics space for a company, expect that there's going to be resistance. Don't be surprised by that. Go ahead and expect it. And mm-hmm. if you can plan for it and have others that can sort of run to your side, then you're going to have better uh, better yeah. chances of success. Yeah, absolutely plan for it because yep. it will come. It's, it's a guarantee. It's not an if. Um, and the understanding what the limitations of what your solution are, yeah, and then also what the benefits are, what allow it can you and to, can't to, do, yeah, right. And a lot of times, what we found is is the things that we think are the greatest help mm-hmm. uh, are not necessarily what the business sees as the, as the greatest assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and an example outside of Atlanta a- analytics was we were starting to move things to a, a shared model globally with regards to service and support, and there was resistance to it, oh. um, and there was um, resistance to training the teams and moving to a global model. What we found was is when we brought the teams together, the, uh, they were concerned about their loss of knowledge, training, and meaningful work. That wasn't a problem at all, mm-hmm. but it was actually the after-hours pager. Oh. And as soon as we could show them that they weren't going to be called anymore, right. they adopted everything. Wow. And we didn't anticipate that that was going to be their biggest uh, uh, issue, but it was back to finding out what the real problem was from that user and then addressing that. And analytics is exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. If we can simplify things that they're really struggling with today, mm-hmm. that sometimes is not the most advanced type of work. Sometimes right. it's very, like you said, diagnostic and descriptive. So mm-hmm. I remembered it that time. Thank you. And, and then you can have a conversation with them about, about, about just about prescriptive, predictive, cognitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's start with the things that are most near and dear to their heart and almost a, a motive at times that are frustrating in their current day. Yeah, yeah. Something that will have um, immediate impact, and even if it's super simple. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, this is a ton of great advice, but what final piece of advice, um, if you had to, if you could only say one thing to an analytics professional, what final piece of advice would you give to help them reduce barriers and develop the right environment for analytics adoption? I would say, you know, ta- table stakes to come into this environment is that you know solid data analytics and capabilities. Um, the the differentiator for you is to 
learned the business. Mm-hmm. Um, my prior chairman, the last company, said a desk is a terrible place from which to see the business. You know, get inside the business, oh, understand like it, mm-hmm. uh, get out there. Uh, if you're spending more time at your desk than you are with a customer or understanding our opportunities, um, go there. If you're an analytics leader, mm-hmm. uh, think about your team being physically uh, stationed with the business versus mm-hmm. versus remote. Um, see, think what those things could, could do for you. If you are an analytics uh, scientist, data engineer, uh, go ask, can I go shadow somebody in the distribution center? Can I go uh, on a customer site mm-hmm. visit? Can I understand and spend some time more in the store? Can I go to a dealer uh, and spend time working with the dealer? You, the, I will guarantee you that it's more valuable than the, those hours you would spend in the office refining your model another 1% or 2%. Uh, mm-hmm. You will see tremendous value come back, and you'll start to build trust with the business. That's a bold statement you just yeah. made. That's very good. So don't be an appendage. Be really part of the system. Awesome. Thanks again, Craig Brabeck, uh, Senior Vice President, McKesson Data and Analytics. We appreciate having you on the, on the Analytics Buzz. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to the Analytics Buzz, a podcast about trends, tools, techniques, and talent related to data science and analytics. Please connect with the Business Analytics Center at Georgia Tech via our website. And join my network on LinkedIn, Dr. Beverly Wright, Executive Director of the Business Analytics Center. Thanks again and have a great data set.